You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, I'd like you to hear how Martin Luther starts his sermon on this particular text, one of his sermons. He says this, This gospel teaches us to note particularly the good tidings which God has granted us, that we may here on earth say to each other, Thy sins are forgiven thee. So that with the people here spoken, we may marvel and glorify God who has given such power unto men. And it is indeed a great power that one Christian may say to another, My brother, be of good cheer. You have a gracious God. Only believe the assurance which I give you in Christ's name, and it is certain, it is as certain as if God Himself had said to you, Thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, Luther is keying in on the last line of the text where all the people are marveling, and Matthew says that when the people saw this, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men, who had given such authority to forgive sins to humanity. And we'll marvel at this as well. There is this paralyzed man brought to Jesus by his Christian friends. Luke adds, tells us that they, they couldn't get to Jesus because of the great crowd that was pressing in, so they had to tear a hole in the roof and lower down the mat in front of Jesus. And you can imagine it. You can see that this man who can't move is simply sprawled out there on the ground, unmoving, maybe his head tilted sideways, eyes looking at Jesus. And Jesus sees the man there, his physical condition. He sees his suffering. He sees the faith of his friends. He sees the unbelief of the scribes that are in the crowd. And perhaps most importantly, Jesus sees the troubled conscience of this paralyzed man, and he knows just what to do. He says to the paralyzed man, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is an astonishing thing to say for so many different reasons. It's totally unexpected. I mean, here, can you imagine this man simply sprawled out And it's obvious to everyone in the room what this man needs. Everybody knows what Jesus should say. What should come next? Jesus should look at this man and he should say, you're healed. Everyone knows that Jesus needs healing in his body. But it doesn't happen, at least not yet. Jesus instead speaks to this man the absolution. He forgives his sins. He heals his his soul, and gives him everlasting life, even though his body is so fantastically broken. Now, we don't, we don't know what people, how people responded to this. I mean, we know how the scribes responded, but I wish that, I wish that Matthew would have told us how everyone else responded. I, I wonder about the friends of this man. What they would have thought, I imagine that they, I mean, they, you see how these guys, Jesus is in town, let's get our friend to him, they, ca- they carry him there, they can't get in, so they, they aren't going to be stopped, and so they go up on the roof and they dig a hole and they lower him in, and they drop this man in front of Jesus, and they expect Jesus to heal him, and then the man says, your sins are forgiven, or Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven, and they got to say, you got to be kidding me, Jesus. We brought him here so that you could fix his body. He's par- Can't you see that he's paralyzed? He can't move. 
I wonder how the man felt if he was disappointed, if he was there and his friends say, Jesus isn't down, we're going to take you down there, we're going to get you healed. I, it's, and this is not in the text, and so this is just simply my own inclination, meditating on the text. But I'm, I'm inclined to think that, that this is the opposite of what happened, that this man uh, got just precisely what he needed most, that this man had a troubled conscience, that he was worried that perhaps he, wasn't, he was paralyzed because of his own sins, and that, that worse than having a paralyzed body was the thought that God was mad at him, and now Jesus says to him, look, God is not punishing you. Your, your sins are no problem. I'll cover them with my blood. I'll atone for them with my death. You, you might have some trouble in this life, but look, I'm giving you life eternal, and I will bring you to the resurrection where you will walk and you will laugh and you will inherit the earth. And my, my guess, and again, it's just a guess, is that these words that Jesus speaks, my son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you, are the sweetest and most precious life-giving words that this man could have heard. But again, the text doesn't tell us how he reacted, but it does tell us how the scribes reacted to what Jesus did. These Jewish opponents of Jesus. The text says, Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Forgiving sins is speaking for God. The scribes knew that. And they knew that with these words of Jesus spoken to this man, that Jesus himself was claiming to have divine authority. And because they did not believe that Jesus was God, they didn't even want to believe that Jesus was a prophet, they concluded that Jesus spoke blasphemy. Now, we know better. We know that Jesus' claim to divine authority is a legitimate claim because he is the Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. And, and we know that it's the sacrifice uh, on the cross that Jesus himself gives is that, is that what wins the forgiveness of sins, to be the propitiation for our sins, and not just for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. But the scribes didn't know this, they didn't believe this, and so they say that Jesus blasphemed. So Jesus turns to them, and this is how it goes. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or... Rise and walk. Now, this is something of a trick question, and I always like this because most of the time in the gospel, it's, it's the scribes and the Pharisees that are giving the trick question to Jesus. But he's giving them a trick question back. What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Now, probably in the grand scheme of things, it's probably more difficult to say your sins are forgiven. That's something that only God can do. But it seems like even the prophets and the apostles were given the authority to work miracles and such like this. So that your sins are forgiven is the more difficult thing to say. But the forgiveness of sins is invisible. You could say Jesus could go around all day saying your sins are forgiven... And nobody would have any way to verify if it's true, if sins really are forgiven or not. If Jesus says, rise, stand up and walk, then everybody is going to know if he's a fraud or not. Everybody's going to know if, he's, if he really speaks with authority, if he's telling the truth. 
So Jesus says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralyzed man, rise, pick up your bed, and go on home. And he rose, and he went home. Now how astonishingly wonderful is this? This man goes home forgiven, and this man goes home made well. And the authority of Jesus is demonstrated in front of the scribes that Jesus can forgive sins, and Jesus does forgive sins. For the paralyzed man, for you, for me, he has the forgiveness of sins for all of his church. And really, I think at some point that this would be enough to... to, to have in the text and enough for us to rejoice in and enough to meditate on, to know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and that he uses that authority to forgive you your sins. This is a truly astonishing thing. But then Matthew gives us something more. And this has to do with the Luther quotation that we started with. It has to do with the last verse in the passage because when the crowd standing around see this, when they see the man stand up, take up his mat, and walk home, they were, the text says, afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Men there in the text is plural. It turns out that the authority to forgive sins does not just belong to one man, Jesus, but in fact that Jesus authorizes more others to use that same authority to forgive sins. That the authority to forgive sins is not found in the singular person of Christ, but rather Jesus gives that authority to his entire church. He shares that authority with every single Christian. So that, dear saints, when you were baptized, you were not only given the forgiveness of your sins, but you were also given the authority to forgive sins. You, the baptized, have the authority to speak the absolution. Now, I think the best way to understand this, the absolution, because a lot of people object to the very fact of the absolution, that we say we forgive sins. The picture, to get our head around it, is the picture of the judge and the bailiff and the guy in jail. So you have to imagine yourself in jail, and across the street is the courthouse where the judge is hearing your case. And, and let's just say that the judge decrees you to be innocent and to be free. Now, at, at that point, are you free? The answer is legally, yes. Practically, you're still in jail. You're still behind bars. So the bailiff who has the key to your prison cell comes across the street from the courtroom to the jailhouse and he unlocks the door and he opens it and says, you are free. I'm setting you free. That's the absolution. God the judge has heard the case made by Jesus on the cross for you. And he has declared you to be holy and perfect and innocent and righteous in every way. And then he sends forth those with the keys to unlock the cell for you and for me and to let us out. Now, there's a lot of ways that this could go wrong. If, for example, the judge declares us to be free and innocent, but the bailiff, instead of coming over to open the door, instead goes to a Rockies game, we are still we're innocent, but we're still stuck in jail. You see? Or if, if you can imagine it to go the other way around, right? If we are guilty, the judge says that we're guilty as charged, but the bailiff has other ideas and he sneaks over and sets us free and 
lets us go, then we're really not free, even though we can walk around. We're really not free. We're just out until the police catch us. Now, both of these things then have to go together. The declaration of innocence and the opening of the door, the use of the key. So even Jesus forgives sin because he died for sinners, the atoning sacrifice. And we forgive sins because Jesus died for sinners. Now, all of this means first that we are the fellowship of those set free. It's what it means to be a Christian. We are forgiven, loosed from our sins, absolved. God's anger that we deserve has been spent on Christ so that we are free from the fear of death, free from the bondage of sin, free from the guilt and wrath of God that we deserve because of all of our failures. We are free from those things first. And second, we are deputized to set other people free as well, to open the prison doors, to forgive sins in Jesus' name. Remember how Luther started. He says, The gospel teaches us to note particularly the good tidings which God has granted us that we may here on earth say to each other, Thy sins are forgiven thee. It is indeed a great power that one Christian may say to another, My brother, be of good cheer. You have a gracious God. Only believe the assurance which I give you in Christ's name, and it is as certain as if God Himself had said to you, Thy sins are forgiven you. You have that authority to forgive sins. So here's a question. Have you ever done it? It's one, it's one thing to even think about. I mean, one of the things that we uh, talk about and lament in the church is that we, we don't often go to confession, to private confession, to hear the absolution. That should be a very regular part of our Christian life. And I commend that to you. We have it on the schedule every Sunday, by the way, that 8 o'clock, if you want to come for a prayer and a blessing or to confess sins and hear the absolution, that's available or any other time. Just call, and, uh, and your pastor in the public office is here ready to forgive you all of your sins so that we want to always be hearing that our sins are forgiven, but we also also want to be speaking the forgiveness of sins to one another. So have, you, have you ever spoken the absolution? And, and I'm not talking about uh, sins that were committed against you. We should be very quick to forgive the sins that are, that, that are committed against us. But here, even what we're talking about is forgiving sins that are committed against God. Now, I could be wrong, but I, I, don't, I do not think that this is a regular part of our own practice, our lives, or our piety. I, I don't think that most Christians have ever spoken the absolution, and I think that most Christians don't know that they even have the authority. I've heard people say, now, Pastor, I, I thought that that's what you do as a pastor. After all, on Sunday morning, you say, as a called and ordained servant of the Word, I announce the grace of God unto you. And in the stead and by the command of Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. Now, Pastor, you say, I'm not a called and ordained servant of the Word. And it's true. There is an office of public ministry. You, your pastor is called to preach and teach and administer the sacraments publicly and regularly. But every Christian has the authority 
to speak about the Lord Jesus in their daily conversations. And every Christian has the authority to forgive sins. You have the authority to do this, to declare people forgiven and free. So that not only are you, not only have you been set free, but you've been handed the same key that unlocked your prison door to unlock the doors of those around you. You've heard the declaration of the judge that the death of Jesus atones for the sins of the entire world, that every single sinner, every single person is died for by Jesus and covered with his blood so that Jesus himself is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now he has put that that reconciliation, that word of good news, that declaration of peace, he's put that into the mouth of his Christians so that sinners would know it. So that we, as we live our lives, are looking for sins to forgive. We're looking for people who feel the guilt and the bondage of their sin because you have the authority to set them free, to open the prison door, to give them a good conscience. But you say, now, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to say. And go to seminary and all this sort of stuff. But So listen, there's no magic words. There's no secret formula. Here are two simple sentences that you can use. Just this. Dear friend, Jesus died for you. In Jesus' name, your sins are forgiven. Jesus died for you. In the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. It's just that simple. And these words are spoken with authority. Not your own strength or not your own power, but with the authority of the blood of Jesus. And these words are life and freedom and joy. And Jesus has put them on your lips so that you can bless and forgive your neighbor. And Jesus has put these words also in your ears and in your hearts so that you would have comfort and peace. Remember this man on the ground, unable to move, lying before Jesus, who hears the words, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Dear saints, those words are for you. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Those words are for the world. Be of good cheer. Sin forgiven. May our Lord Jesus always grant us the joy and the confidence of these words, the comfort and the cheer of his absolution. May God grant it for Christ's sake. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.